Welcome to Whatever It Takes Radio, helping you do whatever it takes to succeed in marriage and in life. Hi, I'm your host, Paul Speed, and I'm sitting in the studio today with my wife. Hi, Nikki. Hey there. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, too. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm really excited about today because on our last podcast, we um, kind of shared where life's been from my perspective for the last two and a half years. And um, which led up, obviously, to God bringing you in my life um, yes. this year. One of the best things that's happened to me. So getting married. But this week, um, we're going to be sharing about uh, your story, which is incredible and powerful just to see. Um, so I'm excited about our listeners getting to meet you, um, getting to know you more as we move forward with the podcast. So um, let's get started with that right away. I know... Um, You've got some things on your heart, so whichever direction you want to start, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Paul. Mm -hmm. So a good friend of mine told me once, Tracy, told me that our lives are evidence that heaven and earth have been reconciled, and that is most certainly evident in my life. Um, I grew up in a small town, um, but I also grew up in a home that was volatile. My dad was an alcoholic, and when he drank, he wasn't so nice. And uh, I can remember as a three-year-old um, just seeing my dad um, not being so nice to my mother. And I can remember just laying in bed at night and just crying and asking God to make the devil go away. Mm. And I just remember the fear. Um, fear became a friend of mine. And I believe that's when it started. And uh, I saw many instances with my parents arguing and stuff to the point when I was five five or six, my parents got divorced. And then it started with my mom. Um, she was obviously reacting to the things she had experienced. But as a kid, you don't know that. And she started to go out almost every weekend. And she would bring guys home. And um, I would see them doing things that would create fear in me. Um and I think I really began to mistrust men. I thought, you know, they they just hurt us. Um, and so that went on for most of my adolescent years. Uh, I did begin at the age of 10 or 11, hanging out with some older kids, began to drink and uh, smoke marijuana. And uh, one of their uncles uh, was watching. And I became friends with his daughter. And this was around age 12. And at age 12, I went and spent the night at her house. And he gave me alcohol and drugs because he obviously had been watching me. And that night he raped me. Hmm. And uh, I can remember, again, feeling so fearful. Um, And I went home the next morning and I thought, gosh, I don't ever want to see that guy again. Well, a couple days later, he showed up at my garage, him and another guy. And I can remember he... He spoke it under his breath so his friend couldn't hear, but he looked at me and he told me he loved me. Hmm. And instantly it was like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, Obviously my dad, I didn't see him often. My mother was gone all the time and it really created a love hunger in me. And so because of that, uh, for about the next year, I kept going back to his house and I would uh, allow him to rape me. Um, He continued to feed me drugs and alcohol, but there was a time um, 
when I just was getting sick of it. I didn't know how to get out of it. I was afraid. Um, I'd seen him be violent with his daughter Mm. when she questioned him once about things. And so I was really afraid of what would happen. But he did give me alcohol. I got in a car accident. And I told him he gave it to me. And that was my out. Um, I didn't really, after that, speak about it too much. Um, I really got wild after that. I never told anybody. I ended up in a drug and alcoholic place at age 13. Um, So at this point, nobody still knew about it? No. No, not until I went to that center and I mentioned it. Um, I had to see a counselor. I didn't like counselors. They just wanted me to talk to an empty chair, and I thought this was ridiculous. Um, So when I got out of there, the drinking did subside a little bit, but then I went hanging around with the same friends. So at age 15, I got pregnant. The guy was 21. I got pregnant with, and um, I can just remember... We'd always talked that if I got pregnant, I'd get an abortion, and I couldn't do it. I I just didn't want to do that. So he left. He didn't want anything to do with me. Um, I did end up placing her for adoption, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I didn't want her to have the kind of life I did. I wanted her to have a mom and a dad. Hmm. And so I can just remember feeling the pain. Um, I wanted her back. You know, but obviously I couldn't. Um, My mom really pushed me to do that. My dad wanted me to keep her, so I remember just the battle there. But it was very difficult. Um, And you're just a high school student. I was 15. Hmm. 15 at this point. And so after that, um, at that same time, our schools had switched and annexed. And so I'm going, I, I had dropped out of school to have the baby, and I went back. But now it was a totally different crowd, felt totally out of place. Um, But it was at that school, um, they had a retreat that everybody was going to. Nobody would talk about it. And I thought, it's a cult, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm going to expose it, (laughs) you know. Me and my friends were going to expose it. Well, I went and I met Jesus for the first time. Wow. And uh, how old were you at that time? 17. 17. 17. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the love I've been looking for. You know, it was incredible. And I can remember, you know, experiencing his forgiveness for having a baby so young. And Mm. for the first year after that, my family thought I'd been brainwashed. And they ended up getting saved within the next year. But at first, because all I'd do, I'd come home, I'd put myself in my room and um, just hide away with Jesus. And so I really got to know him. But one thing I didn't know, what I know now, um, is hurts, wounds, all that. I just thought, you know, if I if I just love Jesus and he loves me, everything will be It'll just fine. fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't need to deal with all that pain in the past. Mm. And because of that, um, I met a girl through one of the retreats I got very involved in. And um, long story short, um, ended up in a lesbian relationship with her. Um, she was actually the first person who I ever thought wanted to spend time with me. I didn't have mm. to become somebody else. I didn't have to pursue or anything. She actually pursued me for friendship. She loved Jesus. And unfortunately, it ended up that. I had struggled with same-sex attraction early on, but um, that began a chaotic lifestyle. Sure. Um 
I would, once I turned 21, I was definitely in the gay bars. For the next 21 years, I would be in and out of church. A relationship wouldn't work out, so then I'd go back to the bars and be in a relationship with another woman. Um, I would say I was in that lifestyle for about 14 years. Uh, I was miserable. I can remember going to church at my sister's, and this guy pretty much called me out told me what kind of life I was living, and I can remember for the first time really wanting to leave the lesbian lifestyle and put it behind me, and long story short, I did. I ended up moving in with my sister. I started going to church. Um, I looked really good on the outside. I did all the right things. I loved the affirmation and validation I got Mm -hmm. from doing the right thing, Um, but yet inside, I still had the desire for other women. I still... And in that process of that time, I got involved in pornography, masturbation. Um, I couldn't go a month without doing either. Um, So that was hidden. I had a ton of hidden sin. And again, I I never let Jesus deal with the the pain. And I can remember Jenny saying, or I don't remember her saying, but I learned it at my first hope, was that if we don't deal with the pain of the past, we bring it into the pain Mm, of the future. And I certainly did do that. Um, so I went 14 years without living the lifestyle, living it, desiring it, yes, but not living it. And I had ended up going to Africa to be a missionary. Um, they were wanting to make me a deaconess at the church. I mean, all this stuff because, boy, I sure looked good and was involved in anything and everything. And then a gal showed up at church. And what everybody didn't know was that... Um, you know, I was watching lesbian movies. I was doing all this stuff behind everybody's back. And you just uh, weren't actively I wasn't living out at that actively point. Actively living it out, yeah. yeah. So when she showed up, I made sure I became friends with her. And um, we ended up in a relationship. I left the church, devastated. My family devastated a lot of people. Um, but it only lasted for three months. I was miserable. I went back to church and. Uh, had to go through a repentance process, but nobody could really tell me why I was doing the things I was doing. I felt trapped. I felt imprisoned. So I did get to the point where I'm like, you know what, God, I, you got three choices. You've either got to do something, I'm going to kill myself, or I'm just going to live this lifestyle. Um, he heard me. He sent, uh, I'd mentioned her earlier, Tracy. Um, she drove like an hour and a half to where we were to go to church she felt like God was and she started this uh uh group counseling thing at the church and a friend of mine who I'd confided in and said you know I just want to kill myself she's like you need to come you need to come and so I finally did and ended up becoming friends with her she agreed to counsel me but she really fed me Jesus I really learned I had some really wrong beliefs which fed my stuff but she really helped me in that aspect. Um, but again, I never opened up about the rape. I never dealt with the pain and the wounds. And so for the first time in my life, I stopped looking at porn. I stopped masturbating. And it lasted for about five years. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, gosh, I'm finally free. This is awesome. Wow. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. And then one day I'm driving down the road for work. And all it took was a thought. You should look at pornography. And I did. I remember being so devastated, Paul. I was like, what is going on? And I didn't tell anybody. I was too ashamed. Um, 
I tell you, and the shame was a huge thing in my life. Mm. Just from the rape, feeling like it was all sure, my fault. I can imagine it not being. All the failure, mm. all the lies and the hiding. And uh, this was just one more thing. And I thought I can handle it. You know, it was one time. But I ended up uh, becoming a children's pastor at my sister's husband's church. That was just... Um, at times a volatile situation. My sister went through severe depression, tried to kill herself, and I did. I turned to pornography. I turned to masturbation. It was like my, my life was just spiraling down all over again, and I could not figure out why I thought I dealt with it all. You know, I was doing all the right things, you know, everything we're supposed to do. Why is this still happening? Well, a friend of mine at the church I was going to, she kept wanting me to come to this thing called Hope. She goes... Jenny, she told me all about Jenny. She's like, Jenny will love you. She will love you. Your stories are so similar. And I'm like, I ain't going. And um, she finally talked me into it. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll go. But after this, I'm done with ministry. I'm just going to go live off in the woods somewhere and hide because I don't know what to do. This is awful. I didn't really know what hope was all about. I just thought, okay, I'll go do this for her. Well, I went. And I remember the first night sitting there. And all these other women were talking about porn and masturbation. And I was like, oh, crap, God, you set me up. <laughs> and they were talking about hidden wounds and hidden sin and all of that stuff I had. And um, I think for the first time in my life, I felt hope. Mm, um, wow. I was around other people who understood. Yeah. And I felt like God was saying, if you really want to be free, you've got to let me into those painful places. And I wouldn't even let him in. And so I finally said, okay, God. And I remember walking through that weekend, and it was so difficult just looking. Boy, God just started to expose the lies, to expose the pain. Um, I had blocked out times where I was molested, you know, by other men. And just the shame that held me bound. Um, the pain from my parents and different things like that. I just let him touch it all. And, you know, one of the biggest things for me and all that was the shame, um, realizing everything wasn't my fault. You know, I had to own my percentage, but um, it was huge. And so um, it was probably a year after my hope. Um, this is where you come in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before that, I never wanted to be married. Right. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with men, even... You know, was there a little desire, but I thought there's no way. I can never love a guy. I'm, mm. they, they scare me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, But then after hope, I felt like for the first time I could love a guy. Mm. I, I wasn't afraid of him. You know, it was incredible. So um, I ended up I was serving at Hope quite often, became friends with the ladies from there. And through mutual friends, learned about you. And through those same mutual friends I learned about you I yes. have been hearing for quite a while that have you met Nikki Thompson have you met Nikki Thompson and um and that's how God kind of started you and I on that path of getting to know one another but before we kind of jump to that Nikki you've said some really amazing things I just want to thank you again for sharing your story I know that's not easy and um but there's some real um takeaways I think I'd like you to elaborate on if you don't mind um, okay you mentioned several things um, first of all um, fear um, 
fear is such a driving force. We know, I think beyond the shadow of doubt, that it's what the enemy uses. God leads by faith. The enemy leads by fear or drives by fear. And um, I've seen fear on and off in my life. But you said an interesting quote. Um, you said fear became a friend of yours. Um, yes. What do you mean by that? Can you give a little more uh, backstory on that? Sure. Um, as I stated earlier, um, I had known fear. It felt like my whole life. And it felt like fear kept me safe. Um, fear taught me not to trust. Um, I definitely self-protected. I built up walls and I isolated. I became suspicious of other people. And um, I felt like any time I felt fear, that was a warning mm. to me not to trust and to put up walls, to be suspicious. And um, it definitely did cause isolation and it felt safe. Mm. So you saw fear as a a good thing really and that's why you mean yes. like it became a friend of yours and it was kind of like your um the bell ringing it, it's it kind of like my gps if i felt fear okay. it was telling me which way to go wow to keep myself safe wow and that um and that started way back even before the rape at 12 yes. and things like that just growing up in a broken home um, yes i would say even other issues as early as the age of three, you know, wow. I told you I would see things with my parents, you know, with my dad, and I was afraid. Wow. Wow. Well, that's, that's huge because um, fear is so um, easy to look at as a good thing, like you said. In other words, because it's protecting you from something, but in reality, it's causing you to pull away in relationships, to put up yes. walls, relational walls, not be real and authentic with people, stop taking risk relationally. It's, it so really forth. is a liar. It, a uh, liar. it keeps you from the very thing you long for. Wow. It, it isolates you and you build up walls and it might feel safe, but the very thing you want is love and relationship, hmm. but you can't. Wow. That's heavy. And I know you and me, and I have a feeling this topic's going to come up on a future yes. <laughs> podcast <laughs> because it is such a big thing it's a big one for everybody and um i'd love to say as a guy that it hasn't been a thing in my life but it has in other words i see fear and what it does in my life but another thing you talked about quite often um elaborate on that and that is what is shame what did shame look like what did it feel like um shame i think everybody by this point knows the definition most people would say that guilt is you know i'm bad because of what I did. Yes. In other words, you feel sorry for what you did, an act where shame speaks to your person, which is more of I'm bad because of what I did and it's more me. What did shame look like? How far back was that and how did you see that working in in you? Because you said obviously it was a, it was a big thing there. Yes, and I know I felt some shame before I was raped, but I think when that happened is when it really um, became a root in my life. Um, I can remember, and I think I elaborated on this, you know, the very first time he raped me, he gave me drugs and alcohol, and I felt like I didn't have a choice in that. Mm. But um, after he told me he loved me, and it triggered something in me, even though I hated it, even though I knew it was wrong, it was like, well, here's somebody that will at least love me, accept me, want me. and um, But yet at the same time, 
I kept thinking to myself, what kind of person are you? You are no better than him. Mm. You know, you're the pervert too. You're the one that's wrong. You're allowing, you're allowing him to do this. And I began to really hate myself. And wow. I thought, are you really that weak? You know, are you really that needy that you will allow a man to do this to you? Mm. I thought that there was something wrong with me. You know, um, what, why would I choose something like that? Um, physically, um, I felt ugly. I can remember after all that, I, I didn't like being a woman anymore. Um, really? I, I remember, um, I would try to wear big clothes. I, anything, I wanted to hide my femininity because I thought it would draw, mm. you know, that kind of same thing. Um, emotionally, uh, again, why would you choose this? Why are you so needy? Um, I felt used um, and definitely um, unlovable. Right. Wow. I mean, shame, it really dominated a lot of my decisions in life. Mm-hmm. And then just like the fear, it causes you to isolate. Cause yes. And uh, hide. And hide. I mean, I... I hated myself, so how could somebody else love me? If I hated me, mm. how could anybody else? And I, I really hid who I was for years, the the thoughts I'd have, the feelings I have. Like I said, I never told anybody for years. I would allude to the fact that, yes, I was raped, but nobody ever knew that mm. it went on for a year. Right. Because I was so ashamed. I thought, they're going to think I'm this horrible person, you oh. know, um, all these questions. And so I hid. I never let anybody on the inside. Just, again, when it was fear. Right. Fear and shame work together. Mm, they sure do. And um, unfortunately, I think that um, is the same for me. I think that probably a lot of our listeners can identify with that. Yes. Even though our circumstances um, in life have probably been a lot different, those feelings are still the same because we have the same enemy. Yes. And the enemy... Um, comes with the same tactics. There's really nothing new under the sun. That's right. And he's always looking for something in each of us to be able to point that finger, look at what you've done, which yes. starts with the guilt. But then it goes to look at what type of person you are. Yes. Whether it's a kid stealing a cookie from a cookie jar, it's the same thing. Look at what you did. But then it suddenly you're such a bad person. Yes. How could you... And um, and then those things shape our lives. They identify you. They identify. It becomes who I am. Mm. So true. So true. So, kind of moving forward, then you talked about kind of the big breakthroughs that finally came um, through hope. And you and I have had lots of conversations, obviously, yes. about both of our past as we walk through this. And I know that the hope experience was a life changer for you. It really was. But. Um, Kind of narrow that down. I know there's lots of things that are taught at Hope and um, through that process, but what's one of the big takeaways that you think um, really God did in you or ministered to you through that process that was a real change for you, a game changer for you? I would say, obviously, they teach a lot and they give us a lot of tools to live by. But for me, it was the whole concept of personal responsibility. Um, I can remember as I was walking through everything, um, one thing I learned is I'm not like I am. I'm not like I am because of what was done to me. Hmm. But I am the way I am because of how I chose to react to it. Wow. Like, 
Yes, I was raped, but how did I react? I let shame dominate me. Um, I didn't tell anybody. Um, I chose to live by fear. You know, those were things I had to take responsibility for. Um, and taking personal responsibility for those things didn't eliminate someone else's responsibility. No. But it was putting it in the right perspective. It was saying, you know what, what they did, they need to own before God and man. Yes. But here's what I did, and I'm responsible for these, again, these things, but that doesn't mean this is who I am. That's that balance of yes. guilt and shame. In other yes. words, I'm going to own what I did, but you know what? That doesn't make me who I am. That's right. And where That's did right. that begin to change in you, that thinking as far as who am I? I would say um, also at Hope, we really learn about our identity in Christ and who does God say you are. Mm. And again, it's a choice. Um, we teach at Hope that choice is one of the biggest gifts God's ever given us. And I have a choice in what I choose to believe about myself. I, and that's part of my responsibility. My personal mm. responsibility is choosing to say who God says I am. Um, I can choose to believe that Scripture says when Christ died on the cross, he took my shame. Wow. I can choose to believe that when he hung on the cross, so did my shame. I don't have to live under that anymore. Mm. This is who he says I am. What's done to me doesn't define me. Um, what people say about me doesn't define me. Hmm. Um, it's who God says I am. Hmm. And I'm his daughter. I am loved. He chose me, you know, before the foundation of the world. Wow. These are what I have to daily choose to live by hmm. because we do have an enemy. Right. He continually wants to bring lies. And I have to choose daily what I'm going to believe. Am hmm. I going to believe him? Or am I going to believe what God says about me? Wow. And really, that is part of personal responsibility. I can't blame anybody anymore. Um, victims don't live, don't, aren't free. Yeah. And Christ died to make us victorious. Hmm. And I can see by you reaching that point of beginning to take a risk and get honest. In other words, this yes. has happened to me. In other words, being willing to kind of uncrack the whole shell, which God led you to do at Hope. And I think allowed him to move into those areas of your life yes. in form of your identity and yes. who you were. And that's um, that's an incredible thing. You know, you're amazing to me. Um, you're a huge blessing in my life. Mm. And um, I'm just so thrilled that God put us together um, in the weeks to come. I know you and I'll be beginning to share more about what that looked like. Um, and I know one of the first things we want to do is share some of the things you and I put in place because... You know, it's easy to look at your life yes. um, all these years, and then you go through hope, breakthrough after breakthrough, and you would think you got it all together, ready to marry a guy, move on with life, and yes. things going to be sweet. I've got 31 years of learning what marriage is all about, yeah. perfecting all those things, even all the things Jenny and I've been through, coming clean, learning the principles of wit and how to live a life that way. But then you and I get close to one another, we get married, and suddenly some of those same triggers are still there. Yes. And we have um, we knew very early on that we needed to get God's wisdom and look at what are some of the main key principles you and I need to begin to live by that are going to give us the best chance moving forward so that 5, 10, 20 years from now, however long we're, we live, yes. it's going to be good. Yes. And, um, and I know in an upcoming podcast, that's one of the things we want to share too. But this was powerful, Nikki. Thank you. And um, thank, thank you, you for, for allowing your, me to share my story. Yeah, thank you for your honesty and um, just transparency on that. So, 
And I want to thank you listeners for listening. Um, this is Nikki. This is my wife. And um, I'm very blessed. And I hope you were blessed just from hearing her story. And I hope that, um, that it was encouraging to you. But let's wrap it up there. And um, if you've got further questions as you've been listening and you want to know more about Whatever Takes Ministries or how we can help you, Contact us through our website at witministries.com or you can call us at 336-310-5050. So thank you again for joining us today. And until next time, remember, your life can be different if you're willing to do whatever it takes.